gracious and merciful God. We praise you that you have invited us into your presence. We thank you, Father, that you listen to your Son. We thank you, Jesus, our living hope, that you intercede for us before the Father. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you condescend to dwell among us. We ask that you would speak this morning, trying God, that we might be encouraged, that our faith might grow, and that we might be your witnesses here in St. Andrews. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. It's truly a pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, it's been some time since um, I was here last, but I'm always grateful for the invitation. And I would be remiss if I didn't bring genuine greetings from the church where I worship here in St. Andrews uh, at the Baptist Church. I understand that you've begun a series looking at the book of Acts, this fascinating text, which tells us stories about the earliest followers of Jesus and the spread of the church of Jesus Christ. I also understand that you've come to the point where you've begun to think about the ascension of Jesus, Acts 1 verses 9 through 11. We'll come to that text uh, later in this sermon. But I've been asked today to speak a bit more about the ascension. So rather than this being a sermon exclusively tied to the book of Acts, or even more exclusively tied to Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we're going to be reflecting a bit on why the ascension even matters. What's so important about the ascension of Jesus Christ? I want to suggest that when we look at the New Testament, we see that the ascension is absolutely essential for our salvation. I want us to consider this guiding thought as we reflect on a couple of texts this morning. The ascension secures our salvation. Jesus' presence before the Father in heaven secures our salvation. Now, um, I don't know, of course, what kind of background you grew up in, but if it was anything like what I grew up in, if you grew up in a Christian family, a Christian church, you probably didn't think a whole lot about the ascension. Now, some who perhaps come from more liturgical backgrounds may have celebrated the ascension once a year, but certainly my experience was the ascension simply didn't matter. It's not that it was denied, no. It's there in Scripture. We confessed it, but it didn't matter. In fact, I remember actually thinking at one point in my life, why did it matter that Jesus rose again? Why did it matter that he's gone back to heaven? I mean, that's kind of inconvenient for the rest of the world, isn't it? Wouldn't it have been so much better if we just went into the kingdom fully right away? 
when Jesus died. And in fact, the kind of Christian faith that I grew up with, for which I am extremely grateful, was a faith which really had very little room to think about Jesus outside of the crucifixion. Now, I'm not suggesting, I'm not even trying to hint that the crucifixion, that the cross, is not absolutely central to our faith as believers in Jesus. That is not the point that I'm seeking to make. But Scripture tells us that there's a lot more to who Jesus is than just the crucifixion. And indeed, when we look at different texts which reflect on who Jesus is and indeed where Jesus is now, we discover that Jesus does far more for us and our salvation than simply what he did on the cross. As essential as the crucifixion is, it is equally essential that he rose from the dead and equally essential that he ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of the Father. Richard Holloway, the former bishop of Edinburgh, is reputed to have said that evangelical Christianity does have a church calendar, although some might wish to argue with that. But his point was that the church calendar for much evangelical Christianity is Christmas and 51 Sundays of Good Friday. That certainly was the kind of thing that I grew up with. The resurrection was there. The ascension was there. But it wasn't clear at all why they mattered. So in the next few minutes, I'd like us to reflect on three different points related to our salvation and closely linked in the New Testament with Jesus' ascension. First then, Jesus' ascension, according to Scripture, allows the gift of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence to be given. Have you ever asked the question, why did the Holy Spirit not come immediately when it was finished, as Jesus says in the Gospel of John? What's the holdup? Why the waiting? Why, as Acts says, does Jesus spend 40 days teaching his apostles? And then 10 days before the Spirit, after he ascends before the Spirit is poured out. I'm not going to spend a lot of time trying to get underneath that and answer the question why. But one thing is clear. It had to be that way. In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus actually says to his followers, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
the helper. This is the special word that the author of John's gospel uses to refer to the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit whom Jesus and the Father send to dwell within God's people. But whereas we might at times think, why did Jesus have to go away? The Gospel of John tells us that it is in fact to our advantage that Jesus goes away. The ascension is for our advantage. Why? Because Jesus sends the Spirit from heaven, pours out the Spirit upon his people precisely because he is the one who has gone into heaven. The ascension is crucial, if you'll forgive the pun. The ascension is at the core of our faith. It is at the core of our salvation precisely because it allows the gift of the Holy Spirit to be given. We invited the Spirit to join us this morning in our worship. And we can only do that because Jesus ascended. A second point. Jesus' ascension maintains our relationship with the Father because Jesus is actively interceding for us. I mentioned earlier that I never really gave much thought to the ascension. I always, when I did think about it, I always wondered, what on earth is Jesus doing in heaven? Is he just sitting there, sort of waiting, hanging out? All right, let's get moving with this history stuff. Let's get going. About time for me to come back now. But actually, Scripture tells us what our Lord is doing. The New Testament tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. Jesus is actively working on your behalf now. And he is there speaking to his Father about us. Romans 8.34 makes this point very clearly. Who, Paul says, is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more than that, did you notice that? Yes, the death of Jesus is critical to our faith. There is no salvation without the death of Jesus. But even more than that, says Paul, Jesus was raised and is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Jesus' ongoing work of intercession on our behalf is part of what helps ensure that we cannot be separated from our Father. This is exactly where Paul goes next in verses 35 through 39. Because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, Paul can go on to say here that who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress 
or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why, Paul? Why is nothing able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Romans 8.34 Because Jesus who died even more, who rose, is now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Our living Lord is our hope because he pleads our case. He is speaking on behalf of us. Therefore, what can separate us? If Christ is for us, Who can be against us? And Christ is for us. But we might want to go on and ask a question. Why do we need intercession? Why is it so important that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf? If we look at yet another text in the New Testament, 1 John 2, 1 through 2. The author writes, my little children, I write these things so that you might not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. My little children. John is not here writing to people who do not know the Lord. John is writing to people who are already followers of Jesus Christ. They are God's children. And he is speaking to them as someone who is their parent in the Lord. My little children. He gives them the ideal, that towards which all of us who love the Lord strive. I write this to you that you may not sin. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That we may not sin. And indeed, the power of the Spirit means we can do battle with sin. And yet, most of us, if we're honest, when we get up in the morning and look in that mirror, we know, yeah, (laughs) I'm still fighting sin. There's still sin there. Wow, there are thoughts, there are acts, there are things I didn't do. We all know. But we have hope. Precisely because our Lord is our advocate. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, precisely 
when we need help? And when don't we need help? Jesus is advocating for us so that when we fall, we can go back to the Father precisely because the Son is there interceding for us. This is why, even though Jesus died, we still continue to ask for forgiveness when we sin. We have a relationship through the Spirit with the Son and the Father. But it is the Son who advocates with His Father for us. The Son steps between us and the Father. And the Son says, I'm for them. And if I'm for them, no one, not even themselves, can be against them. Because of the ascension, Jesus advocates for us so that when we do sin, we know that forgiveness is possible. And this is why a text like the book of Hebrews exhorts us, not just suggests to us, but tells us to go boldly into the presence of the Father, to go boldly to the throne of grace, because there is our brother, the great high priest, interceding for us. Jesus' ascension means that he is now the one who is in the presence of the Father, maintaining our relationship with God while we wait for him to return. If I may, I'd like to turn our attention back to a voice from centuries ago. Gregory of Nazianzus, who in one of his orations made the following statement, which I think sums up what we're talking about so well. He wrote, even at this moment, as a human being, Jesus is making intercession for my salvation because he continues to wear the body that he assumed. The ascension maintains our relationship with God. Third, Jesus' ascension assures that we are going to be completely saved. We need to move beyond in our thinking at times the notion that Jesus' work on behalf of us right now, ensures the salvation of our spirits, our souls. That is absolutely true. But the resurrection means, at least in part, that God wants more than just your soul. God is interested in redeeming all of you, your body as well. Salvation is about redeeming humanity. 
is about recreating the world that God made and called good. It's not about taking our souls off into some spiritual bliss forever. If that were true, then Satan won round one. He gets to keep part of God's good creation. That's not how God plays. God's not interested in winning back only a part of what he created. God wants it all back. And God will get his creation back. It is Luke alone, as we move towards Acts now, it is Luke alone who gives us an account of Jesus' ascension. And interestingly, Luke makes it clear that Jesus ascended into heaven, not as some kind of disembodied spirit, but as a human being of flesh and bone. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus proves that he is the resurrected. The same one who was crucified was resurrected by saying, I have flesh and bone. No spirit has that. But if we turn to Acts 1, the text where you're at as I take it in your series, when we look at Acts 1, 9 through 11, Jesus actually goes into heaven. He is lifted up and a cloud takes him from the sight of the apostles. When we go to verse 11, however, when they had seen these things, two men appear to them and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus will return to you in the same way that he has gone. Why is that so important? Why does it matter that Jesus returns to his people in the same way that he has gone? Precisely because the ascension shows that Jesus went to the Father as a human being. The eternal Son of God, who stooped and put on our own flesh and blood, did not surrender that flesh and blood. In the resurrection, God claimed that flesh and blood back. And in the ascension, Jesus took our very humanity, his very humanity, into the presence of the Father. The ascension, in other words, shows us that in Jesus, God and humanity are not only joined together, but that the Father desires to bring humanity back into his very presence. Salvation, we learn from the resurrection, but even more from the ascension, is about restoring our fallen and corrupted humanity to the place where it belongs, in the very presence of God. Sisters and brothers, this is full atonement at one meant. It is God and humanity dwelling together. That is the goal of salvation. That is why the Son became one of us, suffered and died, rose and ascended 
into the presence of the Father. Complete salvation, then, is to be saved not only in our soul, not only as part of our heart and our mind, but the redemption of our bodies. And if I may, yet one more time, turn back in history and cite another early Christian writer, the Syriac theologian Narsai put this point very well in his homily on the feast day of the Ascension. There he speaks repeatedly about Jesus' ascension as the moment when the molded and corrupted clay of our bodies, the very humble dust of Adam, put on the glory of God and was exalted into heaven. The ascension saves us completely. It is the restoration of full fellowship between humanity and the Father. It is the restoration that we look forward to. What the Son has in his humanity is what we will be. Present fully with the Father. The ascension then not only reminds us that in Christ, God is in the business of renewing his good creation, not abandoning the very stuff he made. It reminds us as well that because we have an advocate with the Father, nothing can separate us from the love of God. I'd like to invite you now to stand as we take some time and go before the throne of grace, asking our brother to intercede on our behalf. Lord Jesus, the mystery of salvation is truly great. We have tried today to even think about just part of it, and we stand in awe before you. Not only are you the one who saves us by dying for us, not only are you the one who saves us by rising for us, you are also the one who saves us by ascending into the presence of the Father for us. And for that, we are grateful. Send forth, Lord, your spirit afresh. Intercede before your Father on our behalf. For without you, Jesus, we are lost. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.